Psalm 127 and Ephesians chapter 6 is the passages that our sermon is based on. Let me read it out loud. And uh, here we are. Unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. It is vain that you rise up early and go, to be, go, go late to rest, eating the bread of anxious toil, for he gives to his beloved sleep. Psalm 127 is a wisdom psalm, and the essence of it is simply put that, um, you know, for we are to work hard. I mean, the builder is, has to work very hard in building the house, or the watchman has to stay awake in the evening. We must labor but ultimately, it depends upon God's blessing. That's very applicable, is it not, to parenting? I mean, we parent hard, and it's a lot of hours and a lot of hard work. Ultimately, it's up to God to bring about spiritual transformation and renewal in our children. I think that's how verses 1 and 2 connect with verses 3 through 5. Behold, children are a heritage from the Lord, the fruit of the womb, a reward. Like arrows in the hand of a warrior are the children of one's youth. Blessed is the man who fills his quiver with them. He shall not be put to shame when he speaks with his enemies in the gate. And then Ephesians chapter 6, verses 1 through 4. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment that comes with the promise, so that it may go well with you and that you may enjoy long life on the earth. Fathers, do not exasperate your children. Instead, bring them up in the, in the training and instruction of the Lord. How do we do that? How do we as parents and as a church bring them up in the training and the instruction of the Lord? So we've been going through the sermon series on habits of a healthy church we will uh, have one more of these next week when we talk about Sabbath and rest and how apropos it is to, to speak about Sabbath as we head into a busy season with uh, fall and kids and, and all of that. But um, how do we bring them up in training and the instruction of the Lord? And I can't answer that question adequately in just one sermon. But I think the starting point for us in Christian parenting it's really the starting point for everything in the Christian life. It's nothing less and nothing more than simple gratitude. The fact is, one out of every two children in the ancient world didn't live to see their first birthday. Forty to fifty percent of child, children either died in, in childbirth or died in the first few months of life. Uh, we're supposed to look at them and say, God, I, I'm amazed that they are alive. <laughs> I am amazed that you have given me living kids and so utterly grateful that they're alive with your life-giving breath inside of them. The two words that I would use to describe Christian parenting is, is grateful stewardship. We are to approach parenting as grateful stewards, which is very different than an ancient view of parenting and also modern views of parenting. In the past, many cultures maintained that your kids were your property. You owned them, and therefore it was up to you to determine what they would become and how they would serve the patria familia, the father, you know, the family agenda. You decide. 
Well, as you know, modern parenting is just the opposite. It says, you know, let your kids decide everything. We are not to impose our views on them. We are not to place any constraints upon their identity or mission in life. I mean, their gender is up to them these days. And their name is up to them. Everything is up to them in modernity. But in grateful stewardship, we recognize that both of these are, are very, they're wrong. Um, our kids do not belong to us, and our kids do not belong to themselves. Our kids belong to the Creator, to their Creator who made them, and they are His. They're a gift to us that we have been put, that has been put into our care for a couple of decades so that we might help them grow up to become what the Creator wants them to be, not necessarily my agenda of what I want them to be or even what they want to be, but what their Creator wants them to be. So we are grateful and we are stewards of, of their upbringing. That's highlighted in Psalm 127, verse 3, if you want to look there again with me, where we read, Behold, children are a heritage from the Lord. Heritage you could also translate as a, a treasure, a national treasure. And the fruit of the womb is a reward, an unmerited reward that is given to us for our stewardship. Our goal is to raise these kids to be mature disciples of Jesus Christ, who love, who love people, who love God, and who live as servants of the kingdom of God. We do that as our starting point, grateful stewardship. Before we go any further, let it be said, if you're a parent and you're struggling with parenting, um, you should be. <laughs> it's so incredibly hard. Why is parenting so in- incredibly difficult? Well, you know most of these answers, but I'll give a few of them to you. It's hard because it's not do X and Y and then Z will result. Parenting is not a hard and fast set of rules we should apply like math theorems to a particular set of problems. Parenting is like jazz. Parenting, is, it is like jazz. God gives us a, a few fundamental chord progressions that we learn and we rehearse and we master. But the task requires a great deal of improvisation. I mean, you have to be listening when the bassist decides to go off in this direction with this new lick. You have to, you have to be in tune with the audience, so to speak, and be able to uh, improvise. Somebody has said it this way, parenting is like building a bridge as you walk across it. Or, or <laughs> parenting is like, you've heard this one, constructing an airplane while you're flying it up in the air. And therefore, no one's truly prepared for the job. No matter how old you are or how many books you've read, we are all utter, deeply inadequate for the parental task and in, in t- constant need of God's grace. That's why it's so important that we bathe our parenting in grace and our children in prayers for mercy. Parenting is also hard because of cultural factors. Um, we dropped off, as I said, one of our daughters at college this week. Her, uh, her college, um, they break them up, the freshmen up into 10-person preceptor groups, which is kind of nice because you have an upper-class student who's taking you along, showing you the ropes, showing you how to navigate campus. Um, Allie managed to get lost for 40 minutes <laughs> on her first day of class. And if you know Allie, that is not surprising in the least. 
But well, these preceptor groups, the way you're supposed to address them in the very first meeting, you stand up and you say, hello, my name is so-and-so. I'm from such-and-such. Uh, I'm, I'm from Boise, Idaho. And my preferred pronouns are, and then you choose, you know, he, him, his, she, her, hers. There's also z, zis, zim, or you can even call yourself an it. Um, you know, kids today are raised in a culture that is confused about the most obvious and elemental aspects of reality. Like this is not, it's not 1950s Leave it to Beaver America. We don't even know what a man is or what a woman is. Uh, we don't have anything in the broader culture that is reinforcing our ethical vision of the Christian life. Uh, it's like sending a sparrow out into, into a tornado. It's hard. And then, of course, the most important reason why parenting is so incredibly difficult is because they are sinners and we are sinners. We enter into this world, Proverbs 22, verse 15, with folly. <laughs> That's what it says. Folly is bound up in the heart of a child. And it's the rod of discipline that drives it away. Look with me here in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 4. Paul's counsel to us on the discipline of our children. You know, modern parenting says that you, you really don't discipline them at all. You kind of let them figure it out on their own. Uh, the Bible would never go for that. It says, though, when you discipline them, fathers... Do not exasperate your children. Another way to translate that is fathers, do not infuriate your children. How might we be guilty of, of frustrating endlessly to the point of infuriating our children? Well, we do it by excessively severe discipline. And we do it by unreasonably harsh demands. And we do it by the abuse of our parental authority. We do it by uh, over-discipline and under-discipline. When we over-discipline our children, when we have too many rules, when we have too demanding of rules, we forget that our child is a human being and not a dog or a cat. I think a lot of parenting in the 1950s forgot that. That your child is a human being and it's not, it's not your Labrador. Um, when our discipline is too harsh or when our discipline is set against, not set against the backdrop of consistent love and affirmation. When the whole positive to negative conversation ratio is not heavily skewed in the positive, um, then that will frustrate your child's heart and it will drive them away. But on the other hand, if you do modern parenting and you don't discipline them enough, We've all watched that happen. Parents who let their kids wear the pants and rule the roost. If you under-discipline your child, it's true. They may be happy. They may be happy right now. But they'll be exasperated later in life. Because they'll enter into this world with a strong sense of entitlement. And life is going to be extremely difficult for them. You know, one of the great mysteries of the Old Testament is how a man after God's own heart, extraordinaire David, could raise up such selfish, bratty, spoiled, rebellious sons? And the answer is that he did not discipline them as the Proverbs taught. We've got a lot of non-disciplined kids out there with a sense of entitlement, and they will grow up to be angry. Do you know why? 
Because when they get out into the world, they're going to find that the world is nowhere near as compliant to their wishes as their parents were. So fathers, do not exasperate your children. Uh, And of course, that applies to mothers too. How else might we consider that verse? Paul David Tripp has a great book out there on the parenting of teens entitled Age of Opportunity. You may have read it before. He points out that perhaps the most exasperating part of being a human being is when you deal with the hypocrisy of another human and how much of our Christian hypocrisy, our personal hypocrisy, is a failure to live out the implications of the gospel that we profess. For example, I get up and go to work every day and you don't hear me complaining Or, in my day, we went to school in the morning, then we worked on the farm until night, and you never heard us say a negative word. He says, you know, parents, parents who talk about sin but live self-righteously are functionally denying the gospel, which says that we receive our righteousness entirely from Christ alone. And that will exasperate the heart of a child. Holding up your strengths or the strengths of a previous generation as the, you know, the standard to attain, um, championing that in a self-righteous fashion is deeply exasperating. A voice rises out of the kitchen, who took the last piece of pizza from the fridge? Unfortunately, that is my voice. <laughs> or a voice that yells upstairs, turn off that infernal racket. Stop fighting or else I'm going to give you something to worry about. Parents who talk about the self-sacrificial love of Christ but live selfishly themselves are exasperating. What's terrifying is that these communication styles work. The communication of the world where one raises one's voice and where one uses your anger or disapproval in order to get your child to comply Those styles, they generally speaking work, especially when they're young. If you threaten your child with drastic punishments, they usually comply. If you bribe them with a big enough carrot, they'll usually obey. The scary thing is that these methods work to modify and control behavior, but it exasperates the most important part about us, which is is our hearts. Finally, a parent who talks about forgiveness but does not truly forgive their kids. I think we parents are very unaware of how many of our kids' sins we're still holding on to from the previous day and the previous week. When we say, how many times have I told you not to leave the dirty washcloth in the bathtub? Or when the dad steps out into the hallway and breaks his foot nearly on a Lego that hasn't been picked up, and we go emotionally from zero to 750, usually it's because we haven't forgiven all of those previous infractions. I'm still holding on to something of their past sins, and I'm just annoyed at dealing with someone who makes the same mistake over and over again. Church, I can say this to you um, as somebody who struggles with this. How critical it is, how critical it is that the relationships in our home and our church reflect amazing grace for sinners. How critical that is. 
And to do that, we must be receiving amazing grace from Jesus often. We must be receiving from Jesus the forgiveness of our many sins and the frustration of dealing with the person who makes the same mistake over and over again and receiving that from him so that then we would go and do likewise for forgiving our children often for the same things that they do. So verse 4 again, Fathers, do not exasperate your children, but instead, here's the positive uh, command. Instead, bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. If you are one of those visual learners, you could take your pen and circle those two words, training, instruction. Because that in its essence, that is parenting according to the Bible. To be a parent is to be a trainer, a teacher, an instructor. It's what we see demonstrated in the book of Proverbs. That's what we hear from Moses, as Shelton said last week, I think, though I wasn't here, Deuteronomy 6-7, how you as a parent, through even the mundane aspects of life, you shall teach these words, quote, diligently to your children, and you shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, and when you rise, or, sorry, when you rise. We are to be constantly telling our children um, this, the Bible's narrative. This is the story we are living in. This is what we believe. This is what is right and what is wrong. This is what is valuable. And this is what is worth doing in life. And I want you to love these thing, same things too. The Bible would say, I'm sure that the Bible would say, that it would rather parents teach their children the wrong things then teach them nothing at all. Stanley Hauerwas, a Christian philosopher, uh, says, he puts it like this, very interesting. He says, a father or mother might be wrong. They might use their parental authority to teach their children something misinformed. And maybe the child will grow up and decide that his parents were wrong. But if the parent abdicates the role of active teacher and instructor, that, that refusal to ask our children to believe as we believe and to live as we live and to act as we act, that is a betrayal that comes from moral cowardice. That's what Howard Watts would say about modern parenting. Is it is an activity, it's an exercise of moral cowardice. What our kids need more than anything else is someone who says, this is our story. This is who we are as a people. This is what is right and what is wrong. And this is how you ought to live. And I will, I will demonstrate that for you in self-sacrificial love. And here is why we ought to live this way. It is because Christ has so self-sacrificially loved us in the same. But it is better to give kids a bad set of instructions than none. Because when you give them none and you leave, leave it up to them to figure things out, you're abdicating the role of the parental office. Um, and some of you uh, know what it's like to be on the receiving end of that experientially. Some of you did not receive uh, any or, or very little instruction from your parents. You were left to fend for your own. Uh, your parents were either too messed up to teach you or they had too many personal problems or they had too many conflicts between themselves and as a result, you were basically on your own from the beginning, which is not how things are supposed to be. 
thankfully, God has not left us on, on our own to do the difficult task of parenting. So when we baptize someone here at All Saints, we, uh, we have them promise four things, and then we promise one thing in return. We are to, one, set before them a godly example. Two, pray with and for them. Three, teach them the doctrines of our holy faith. And four, bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. You could probably say a lot more about what parenting should be or is, but those four things are not bad. If you want a reminder of the parental task, you could put those on the refrigerator. Set before them a godly example, pray with and for them, teach them the doctrines of our faith, bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. Especially, we need parents who stress the importance of the heart. Because most of our Christian parenting skips the heart and focuses on the external behavior. Um, Beneath the battle for behavior is another far more fundamental battle, the battle for the thoughts and motivations of the heart. And we know from the Bible that transformation, it always begins in the heart. Like all true transformation starts from the inside and then goes to the outside from a heart profoundly shaped by the grace of the gospel into a life that reflects that beautiful truth. So, if you get nothing else in the sermon, get this point that I'm going to make right now. This is so important to keep in mind. God must be dealing with you at the heart level in order for you to deal with your child's heart. (laughs) For you to be equipped to deal with your child's heart, God must be dealing with your heart, working on you actively. And you are interpreting and... uh, inviting the circumstances of your life as a way for God to shape and and hone your own heart. One of the things I think we can do as parents, um, and I was convicted of it as I thought about it this week, because I I do a bad job of this, but um, you invite your kids into what God is doing on you. So for example, and you have to do this age appropriately. I mean, you're going to do it differently with a 16-year-old than, than with a 6-year-old. But you could say, right now at work, work is really hard for me. And I feel like I'm being treated unfairly. You know what my first impulse is when I feel like I'm being treated unfairly? It's to complain. And my second impulse is to retaliate. Um, but here's what I think God is teaching me through this. Through this, God wants me to entrust myself to him. As he talks about in 1 Peter chapter 2 with Jesus, who when he was treated badly, he did not retaliate. He did not uh, speak out against those who were, who were hurling insults at him, but he entrusted himself to the goodness and justice of God. And that's what I think God wants me to do right now. See, what are you doing? You're inviting them in to the work of God that's happening on your own heart. You say to them, here are several scriptures that have been poignant and meaningful to me of late. And this is what I think God is, is doing. See, when you speak experientially of what God is doing and how the Bible applies to your life, that is teaching, it is instruction, but it's not a lecture. It doesn't sound like a lecture. It sounds like a real, active, alive, personal God is interacting with you because that's what Jesus does. We are to pray with and for them, no matter what age they are. uh, Try and find some opportunity during the day 
to pray with them and for them. I mean, your kids, they, they will invite, they, they will be happy for you to pray for them. Hey, hey, you're dealing with that? Can I pray for you right now about that? Um, I don't know that I have anything more to say, but just pray for them, with them, and teach them the doctrines of our holy faith. I want to say thank you to all the teachers, our Christian formation class teachers, you know, who decided to sign up this year and, and, and teach our kids. I mean, what we need, what we desperately need in Christendom today are churches that will catechize our kids and the doctrines of our faith and institutions, be it schools that will do that or public school Christian fellowships that will do that or co-ops that will do that, homeschool co-ops, institutions that thicken and deepen the catechism, the biblical catechism. I don't mean just the catechism, but like the, the catechism of the Christian worldview um, for our children, because they're constantly being catechized with a cultural narrative that is antithetical to our narrative. Um, so thank you to the parents who are doing that. And then finally, to bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord, always remembering that love covers a multitude of sins and parental failures. You can mess a lot of things up as a parent, and you will. <laughs> But love is the great equalizer. And if the kids know that you love them deeply, it will cover a multitude of your failures. Uh, Before I finish, let me address two groups of people. And I am almost done. But um, I was talking to a friend this week who said, I told him what the sermon was going to be. He said, is there anything here for empty nesters whose children have already moved out of the house? And um, here's what I have for you. It's easy as an empty nester to look back upon all your failures, all the things that you did wrong, and and wish that you could have another crack at it and and go back and do it over again. Instead of worrying about all those failures, just remember that you are still a parent today. You still have an opportunity to adjust right now because your kids need you for as many days as God gives you life on this earth. Um. So whatever it is that you would have done differently, we'll try to, you know, implement that today because there is today by God's grace. Today is today by his grace. And then we need you too. We need to learn from you. One of the reasons it's so important for a church, in my opinion, to have intergenerational community groups and not simply demographically based community groups is we need empty nesters to be talking to parents of two-year-olds and doing that in the context of, of everyday relationships. For those of you who are parents with really young children, I think I talked to you earlier, I'll talk to you again now. Uh, I want you to see where the psalmist goes here in 127. Verse 3, Behold, children are a heritage from the Lord, the fruit of the womb a reward, like arrows in the hand of a warrior, or the children's with you. Ah, yeah, here's verse 5. Blessed is a man who's, who's, uh, who fills his quiver with them. He shall not be put to shame when he speaks with his enemies in the gates. The stress on this psalm falls on the children of one's youth who have now grown up and are standing with their father when he's speaking with his enemies in the gate. And the implication is that it will be very hard for those enemies to intimidate that father when this man has his sons and daughters standing with him. 
Uh, parents of young kids, do you think it's incredible when they roll over on their tummy and begin to crawl for the first time or when they say mama? And that is truly incredible, but it won't even begin to compare to the afternoon when you realize you're having an adult conversation with that girl. You might be sitting on the front porch talking with her about some musical artist uh, or talking about some intellectual topic from American history. And for a moment, you can hardly believe that little bundle you brought home from the hospital has grown into this beautiful, mystifying, wonderful young woman. And you realize that in your daughter, God has given you one of the best friends of the whole world, a friend who is ministering to you right now. And you say, thank you, thank you, thank you. May our friendship do what is the quote on the front of the bulletin says, push us closer to Jesus Christ. Finally, for everyone, I think this quote, another quote, with, is this the church of quotes? We have so many of them. I'm, I'm sorry. I think this quote from Nancy Guthrie says it best. We have in Christian circles our own Christian lingo, and the popular Christian lingo today, and I like it enough, is gospel-centered. Gospel-centered worship, gospel-centered community, gospel-centered parenting. She says, gospel-centered parenting used to mean to me, how am I going to get my kid to believe the gospel, live for Christ, stay out of trouble, and be really involved at church? But it has now come to mean something different to me. Now it means, how am I going to live in front of my child like I've put all of my hope in the gospel of Jesus Christ? How am I going to live in front of my child such that Christ is alive to me? The biggest failure, it goes on, the biggest sadness of so many people of my generation, including parents, educators, and leaders in the church, is our failure to pass along our faith in a compelling way to the generation now taking our place. We can blame this on the confusion of the times. We can blame it on our own mistakes in pedagogy. But the real reason faith doesn't matter to so many of our young adults and teens is that too often it didn't matter enough to us. Not enough to shape our lives. Not enough to suffer for it. Now I know there are 10,000s of exceptions to this. But it is still true that a man cannot give away what he does not have. If we want to change the culture of a nation, we need to begin by taking a hard look at the things we call our own faith in our hearts. If we don't radiate the love of God with passion and courage in the example of our daily lives, nobody else will, least of all the young people who see us most clearly and know us most intimately. Man, is that true. A man cannot give away what he does not have. You cannot give spiritual life. You cannot give Christ to your kids if, if Christ is not yours and powerfully active. So church, I charge you as grateful stewards to make it your ambition to have more of Christ, more of him for you, more of him for your marriage, more of him for your friendships, and more of him for your children so that your children might have more of him too. Amen.